0: Full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold ox, no calf, takes the call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod Nero says, long goals on the brain. I'm Bob. What's going on, buddy? Well, second half here. We got the second half of Jay St. Charles' interview.
1: Yeah, we didn't just cut this thing in the middle. We did an interview one day and uh realized that we we really wanted to gain more information uh moving forward to this interview. We kind of stopped around the 80s and 90s and we wanted to to really add to it and get us up to present time so well Jay was what, what really very- happened
0: was I had to pick my kid up from school and We got so into the first interview, it was so much good stuff that, you know, and, and we were like, well, you know, we got to stop, but we, we didn't cover half of it. So this interview, we covered the other half.
2: Yeah.
1: So we, we, Jay was so nice to come back on and got the other half and, uh, just another one of those guys you could talk to for 10 hours. Um, so we had to keep it, uh, short to four hours or whatever (laughs) it ends up being, but, uh some super good knowledge i hope you guys listen to the first one if this is coming up and you didn't listen to the first one i would go ahead and stop right now go back to part one so that part two makes more sense yeah and uh, uh yeah i know hope...
0: the history of bow hunting and why the fight never ends and this one we got into that a little bit i kind of went on some rants i'd had a long night of not sleeping at work and
1: yeah and it, it, we we are really passionate about this stuff and I hope if you guys have any questions about that, you guys can send us an email. Um, we, we really, you know, we get into the history, but we, we also get it deep down into the politics. And things are different in the Pacific Northwest and even out West than they are in the Midwest or the East Coast. And um, so, you know, if you guys need any kind of clarification on what's going on out here, or what we're talking about, um, we'd be more willing to fill you in. I, ho- I hope we made it plenty clear here. But uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. So,
0: the last episode we kind of ended up talking about Washington's archery seasons and uh how they kind of got whittled down and I think we left off about 1990 when they cut your seasons down to 2 weeks and um you were the president of the Washington Bow Hunters and I suppose we could just take yeah. off from
2: there. What do you guys think? yeah at that, I like it at that time yeah it was about the time that's about the time I left office but I got I stayed on the board and, and I was able to find somebody else to be president and uh, and uh, we had we had a great board of directors at the time and boy, we had a lot of we had a lot of good leadership uh, you know on the organization at that time but in spite of in spite of that it was the uh, agency, the uh, Washington Department of Wildlife, I think they had, they had recently turned in you know, wildlife rather than game, had a different idea about our elk, and they the uh, and so they started immediately, as soon, almost as soon as we got the long season, they, we got cut back to the short season again. We still were able to retain a late an early and a late season for elk, which was, was good for us, but, um, uh, but we still had enough of, a an early season that, that the number of hunters continued to grow, and, uh, primarily from the, from the rifle ranks, and, um, and we had, and and, of course, in, Back east, I know, Bear Archery Company had been promoting the two-season hunter for years, but out west here in in Washington, you you had to buy, you had to pick your tag and pick your season. So there was no such thing as a two-season hunter, and uh, and the guys that wanted to hunt elk in the rut switched over, but uh, and so our, but our uh, with the number of bow hunters doing it, our our success rates continue to go up, and uh, so it, it it you know it, it was a concern what to do what to do about this whole thing. And a number of things happened over, over that kind of period of time. We got into the uh, the same time this was going on. There was equipment wise, there was kind of a I, I would call it a backlash because. There were guys that were uh, that had been bow hunters before the compound bow came out. The compound bow was a big part of this, and that it uh, a guy had a bow that he could that was, to some degree, a metaphor of a rifle. In other words, he could get back and to an aiming position and hold back for a period of time, put a sight on something, and, and and shoot it more like it was an aimed device than than something casual more more casual like a long bow or recurve and uh but we had uh, a number of guys that were wondering about their you know that they had gone through the compound phase even they'd come from recurves and they shot a compound bow and uh they kind of missed their own recurves but we also had a new crop of people that had never been bow hunters before they're also curious about simpler stuff and almost immediately, uh, as the compound bow began to get more complex and more more effective, I guess in some ways, uh certainly, uh we had a community that we, we kind of fanned the flames of it. Our, our our museum had sort of come about at the Northwest Archery Company, we started a, a museum. We had a lot of old stuff that had been collected around that dad had refused to throw away and uh, and then my younger brother uh, matured and showed up on the scene and uh, or became interested in in, and you know I'd been kind of a collector and a cataloger and and it was really Joe my younger brother Joe that put this museum together and before we knew we had a lot of stuff we had built a we had built a separate room to the store that was kind of a trophy room and so there was space to put things in and uh i know i used to my sisters and i used to joke about my brother joe he was known as the curator <laughs> he was, that's what he was mostly doing i mean he worked in the store sort of except when he could escape and get on the telephone and and hunt for treasures around the country. So he was mostly curating rather than doing anything else. Consequently, this whole room, the ceiling, the walls, everything in this trophy room really became a museum. This, this happened uh, over the period of about 10 years or so. And, uh, and that became kind of a center for this traditional archery community because the museum was made up of stuff from back in the 20s and 30s and, uh, you know, really, the really old stuff that really, what, what you could call the seminal equipment and artifacts of the very beginnings of bow hunting. And it was really a bow hunting museum, an archery museum, but it's really a bow hunting museum. It had a fabulous wall of broadheads that we kept getting added to and uh, this kind of fanned the flames of the same thing going on around the country it was going on anyway but it was uh, and other things that sort of came about about the same time like traditional bowhunter magazine 89 appeared in the scene in our state uh states were starting to form traditional archery-only clubs. Uh, TAO, I don't know when, when it began, but around 1990, I would guess, something like that. You guys, and so I'm kind of foggy on the exact dates. Yeah, I, th- I want to say, uh,
0: I should know this, but I think it was 85-ish, but let me, I'll look it up.
2: Could uh, well be. It was real early. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, a lot of our guys up here, a lot of members in TAO from up in Washington, for that reason. But then also, uh, my dad was paying attention to what was going on. He wrote an article called uh, It's Time, about 91 or so. It was in an earlier issue of traditional Bonner magazine. And... Uh, You've saying it's time to have a national traditional bow hunting organization, something, some place for the traditional bow hunter to hang their hat, something to differentiate from the from the other group from the from bow hunting in general because we are different. It's it's uh, bow hunting with a traditional equipment is not the same thing as hunting with a compound bow in Everybody that's done both will will tell anybody that's true. Uh, you know, it's different mechanically, but it's just a different different attitude, a different a, a different way of looking at your time in the woods, different way of approaching bow hunting, all that all that stuff, and and uh, also about this time, I I know that my dad, mom, and I were back east at some event. I believe it was in Indiana and I, I'm hesitating to put the date out and the place out because I think I'm wrong about where it was, <laughs> but there is a group of guys there that, uh, we had kind of planned to have a meeting in a motel and talk about it at the national club. So we had that meeting and, uh, and, uh like I uh, let me say my, my dad and I were there, uh, Marv Cochran was there. Uh, oh, gosh, I, I can't throw a bunch of names out because a lot of the early leadership of constitutional traditional bowhunters was there. And, uh, and and they were guys, as we talked about before, these were kind of national leaders in their own states from their state bowhunting organizations. And if they had, you know, smaller traditional clubs or smaller, they're from that group. Uh, and a lot of these guys were from the Midwest, and and then we we had a further meeting of the same crew at a Pope and Young event that was in Omaha uh, some months later, pretty close close aboard that. And uh, at that time, we we came up with a with an organization uh, didn't have a name for it yet, but. Uh, Marv Clanky was involved in that back at the Pope and Young event. And of course, at that event, we had a great number of people from all around the country. In fact, if I remember right, to me anyway, that was kind of the centerpiece of that Omaha, uh, banquet convention back there it was discussion of this traditional club. And it was, it was certainly what was buzzing in the air anyway. And, uh, so that, that was all kind of happening around the same time around early 90s and uh, so it, and it was time uh, and it, it um, so it, it kind of came about then and I it, and it's kind of continued on I there it there wasn't always agreement one of the things I wanted to mention that that first meeting we had, back in the Midwest. It was I might have been in Indiana, as I mentioned. Uh, one of the guys at the meeting announced that boy, now we're really going to get those compound guys. <laughs> and I got thinking, how's that going to work? You know, we're not we're not out to get anybody. We're out to we're out to promote we're out to promote something, not tear anything down. Hey. And uh you know, there's no getting those other guys they're off doing whatever they're doing but
1: exactly. now we're going
2: to explain we're going to explain who we are that's what's important and uh, and so that was really what the what the Compton you know we, the the board that we got together with the early board in the Compton was, was in all total agreement about that was, we're we're out to bang our own drum not to not to beat on anybody else and and uh, it actually works pretty good. Positive messages, you know, always sell better than some negative thing. So
1: um, always feels a lot better, anyway, too, it, right? Well,
2: yes. Well, it feels right
1: because it, yeah. it works. <laughs> right.
2: And uh, but we still had a group. There was a group of guys and that, that still wanted to oh uh, there's there was a you know there's people that you, you know you get so mad about any one particular thing and it's pretty hard to let go of that anger and uh uh you know there, there were people that didn't even want to call us bow hunters they wanted to call us something else because the whole word bow hunter uh was beginning to stink to them um uh, just because it, you know, what what bow hunting, you know, the, was in general, was was just not what they thought should be going on out in the woods. And uh, but anyway, that was not a that that message did not, as it worked out, just didn't resonate. And I I can't say they're completely wrong at all. I some of those guys are I have absolute respect for and and have done. But that 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 was a that was a contentious thing. Uh, so consequently, it, a, a lot of the early leadership of compton were guys, some of them were some of them came from Pope and young Club. and um, it, you know, but a lot of them were were really just local guys from around the country that came together to to do this thing. My dad wrote an article, and I don't know what it was first published. I can't remember. You uh, know, it was in his his book that you know, bows on the Little Delta, but it was called "A Walk in the Woods." And uh, he was kind of trying to present an idea of what traditional bow hunting could look like or might look like, you know, from one man's standpoint. And uh, but I think it, it it painted a pretty good picture of uh of what a lot of you know at least out west here out west we kind of we kind of go out in the woods and wander around until something happens sometimes that's i mean it sounds like we're a lot more organized than that but not really we 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 do a lot of what used to be called still hunting you know and uh we not tree stand but yeah just walking around i one of the definitions of still hunting is that you go out and you you go out and have your hunt, but you're you're usually still hunting for the whole season because you didn't get anything, so you're still hunting. <laughs> still <laughs> hunting. That's what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I we love do. that. Well, still, still, hunting. Hunting. still hunting. Yeah, but that's um, yeah, that's what kind of, it's kind of like. But I that was uh uh, and we had a we had a meeting that came to mind that i had forgotten about for a while we had a meeting in 95 in boise Idaho, of a, a bunch of leaders <laughs> from around the west mainly because we were discussing the west how to save bow hunting out west because how to, how to again how to counteract uh what a lot of agency people were thinking is that we've kind of we're no longer what we presented ourselves to be. We're something else, and and we can't continue to be, you know, to have the broad seasons if we continue to go the direction we had. this it was in 95, but there was a, uh, like one of the, I remember it was, it was, uh, oh, Mr. James' <laughs> his comment was, this looks like a, a mini Pope and Young Club <laughs> meeting. He wasn't there, but Aspel was there. Uh, uh, gosh, uh, Mike Slagel was there, Ron Shear, um, uh Larry Fisher, and uh, a bunch of guys, a bunch of Western guys were there, and we put, uh, I remember, uh Schlegel was had a blackboard, and he was doing kind of like an analysis thing here with the mind mapping thing of with all our ideas we were throwing out and uh, we couldn't come up with anything <laughs> all these minds that were there. we couldn't come up with any real answers. How are we going to save this thing? because it's uh you know it's like a juggernaut. And, uh, so we didn't come away with that, with anything from that meeting other than the, the, the thought that man, something, we need to do something. And, uh, so there was a, a lot of the leadership around the country of, of bow hunting, bow hunting leadership, I'd say, was all had the same concerns, particularly out west, because it's out west that we have, Oh, we don't uh, back east a lot of places back there they've got the problem they've got is too many whitetails so how do we how do we manage these whitetails how do we kill enough whitetails to reach management goals now that's been changing back there too in some areas but oh, west we never have too much um, got different kind of animals out here different game mule deer and and uh or you, uh, Oliver elk and whatnot, which are pretty habitat sensitive. They're not; they just don't spring out of the ground like blades of grass, uh, like whitetails can seem to be able to do. In fact, our whitetails out here are supplementing. They're you're taking over where they appear. They they tend to crowd mule deer and. What not out of the scene that's a problem in itself when it comes to winter range and all that so anyway, here we are with that and um, so i i I think what's going on the, the the idea that we talked about where the you you guys have been working on down in Oregon where we try to create new Opportunity where no opportunity currently exists. In other words, if you've got a unit that we can now have a hunt in, if we're low enough impact that we can actually just go in and have a hunt in, and instead of having to resort to uh, drawing for tags and maybe not hunting every year, all these you know solutions that agencies you know tend to come up with. Uh, we're running the same thing in Washington with our, with, but primarily with our elk, which is our Yellowstone or Eastern Washington elk are just, you know, they're somewhat, say, if, you know, truth be known, if, if the average citizen really knew if they're really kind of a, they're, they're not a natural commodity. They don't, without feeding programs and whatnot, uh, our elk herds, we don't, we don't have the quantity of wilderness in Washington that we see in other parts of the country. And there's got a lot of people in Washington State. And, and the elk have been getting crowded out for decades.
1: And uh, It's originally how archery seasons began in the beginning, was lower our technology to increase our opportunity, you know, go away from the rifle and pick up a simpler thing. And yeah. here we are. In 2021, and uh, it seems like the ball's still rolling in the same direction. Yeah,
2: yeah, it it seems like hunters in general, if they, whatever, whenever they, as soon as they get something, they try to figure out a way to change it again. Just yeah. <laughs> in other words, if we we go with the bow and arrow, and then how can we make the arrow something different to the bow and arrow now, so we could, so we right. can maybe kill animals easier, you know. And uh, the it's path, a natural the natural
1: thing. Of, yeah, the path of least yeah, resistance is human.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's it's just the path of human existence. Period. And so we're kind of doing that again. Yeah. So, hey,
0: I got a question for you. In that meeting you guys had in Boise in '95, were yeah, did you guys talk about you know making areas like traditional hunts and areas then? Because I think I remember like '98. There was some around that er, time. There was some proposals, you know, trying to go through in Idaho. Or at least I heard about them, and I remember being super excited back then. Did Did you guys talk about that at all in '95? I know times were way different then too than they are now. So
2: we, we honestly didn't talk at all, hardly about. I was had been part of the discussion actually. Uh, as I think of it now, but it, we 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 talked about all kinds of things um and uh in traditional only season you know i'm sure was part of the picture because most of the guys in the room were traditional bow hunters although it was really about trying to save the big picture how can we save the big picture of things how can we what can we do to keep all all bow hunting somehow under one tent. Also, there was still yeah. that kind of one tent thing going on there at that meeting, because it was, you know, it was. Uh, but that was. We really talked about how to promote traditional boating. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I, I know that. Uh, uh, Mike Schlegel, who was there and was very much part of it, and it was as a wildlife manager himself. Uh, and, 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 an, and an elk expert as well. Uh, he's one of the fellows I heard about early on. About the, you know, he, he'd go back to some National Wildlife Managers Convention, which he was always a part of. And a, a big buzz back there is, "What do we do with these bow hunters? This mm-hmm. is going nuts." You know, we, I don't like what we're seeing. Comments like that other managers around the country, and uh, so you know, this was you know, this was all around 1990. This is when it, it took a while for the compound vote to become a functional tool. Not very long, but it, it took a little while. And uh, and by that time, by by 1990 or the early 90s on, they they were starting to you know be something that. That, yeah, and, um, and
0: so you guys were, were more talking of ideas that I know, you know, we battled these battles in Oregon, or I shouldn't say we because, you know, I'm younger, but you know, TAO, um, you know, with the, with the lighted knocks and the expandable broadheads and the arrow weight and the let off, like that's the way you guys were trying to hold back, hold it back enough to keep the opportunity for everybody. I mean, correct, correct
2: yeah yeah exactly um, and it was a kind of an experiment if, yeah if i thought if we thought about it hard enough, it was almost a reaction on our part let's what the hell let's try this yeah. and see what happens and uh, what we what we learned over the period of time from him is it just it that type of approach trying to regulate you know the the general equipment really just made people mad and, and it slowly all just kind of crept back again. you yeah, now we're using everything that we had legislated against now is, uh, you know, there's some restrictions on some electronics, but not much, yeah. there's not much. Yeah.
0: I mean, it, the problem is it, you yeah. know, like you said, it just, it's, if it would have held the line, but there's always a workaround, and then you know years go down the road and it just kind of gets washed off, and now that's okay and that's okay, and and then
2: you know you end up well, it's, it's here not, where you are. This is you know? America, it's, yeah. yeah this is America. Well, we like not, our hot rides and our dragsters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. We like it's our freedom to do whatever we want to do with it. You know, and we don't we don't like anybody to tell us no. That's not a. That's not a, especially for an independent group like Outdoorsman and whatnot. That's not a. A word anybody likes you know yeah so um so that's uh, predictable
1: yeah you know jay last night i heard that uh washington has a proposal or a a a, a public pool going around uh, looking to add the range finding a built-in rangefinder to the bow site. Um, Oregon, you know, we don't, a lot of states aren't allowing it, but it looks like Washington's looking to, to uh, adopt it.
2: Oh, sure. I haven't heard that one specifically, but it, it's, it won't be the first time that that was brought up at a, at a uh, commission meeting, but it might be, it might be, you know, might have a lot higher traction at the moment. Uh,
1: yeah, I. I, you know, they, I would be surprised.
2: Electronics have been knocking on the door forever. And, you know, yep. The, any of the states? Yeah. Is, I don't know what's going on in the, in the country about that. I think changed so quickly. Um, there must be some states that have that already.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the Midwest is allowing it, um, but I Arizona. think that they Okay. Uh,
0: I think Arizona. I could be I'm sure it'll be in- during their any weapon seasons, but, uh,
1: yeah, it's definitely uh, legal sure- in
0: some States for sure.
1: Yeah. I'm sure it'll be, uh, available to every bow and arrow hunter here real soon. It seems to be the trend.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 everything's getting cheaper and everything's working better in that regard. Uh, I know there are guys that, it, as soon as the iPhone came out, somebody had a way to mount one of those on the bow, you know, it had some range fighter mm-hmm. app on the, and mm-hmm. whether it would, you know, it was practical or not, I don't think you're, you know, it, you know, that kind of stuff just keeps marching on. We had, we had, as soon as we had our electronic thing in, in the 88, 89, next year, we had a guy that was, he was selling a mount for a video camera that fit on a bow. And he was concerned that he couldn't sell his video camera mount in Washington State, you know, so that was the thing, a thing commission meeting immediately, you know. So it yeah, they're always beating on the door and I the agencies, you know, to their credit, do a fairly good job of trying to hold the line on this stuff, but but if enough hunters seem to be uh um, concerned about it. It eventually happens. I remember, I, and I haven't gone to a, a lot of meetings lately. I've been, you know, I was at one oh one when, when I was at fairly recent times, the The, the robo-duck was a big deal. You know, this duck that flaps its wings, you know, the, mm-hmm. this robotic duck that you can punch a button on and make it look like a moving. That was a big deal. <laughs> and Boy, they're, you know, a lot of duck hunters didn't want to see that on there. Now they're part of the woodwork, you
1: know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: uh, I was watching my neighbor with his robo-duck bringing in some duck. looked like it worked pretty well, you know. Um, I don't know what a big deal that was, um, you know, because they're – and I don't know if the whole duck hunting scene is, but that's going on, you know, everywhere you look, electronics and mechanics and all that. So – but with within our traditional group, uh, one, I know one bone of contention that, that traditional archery is always kind of, in recent years, it, since it made a resurgent, it, it's not fashionable to have a sight on your recurve. <laughs> yeah. In fact, a guy would not be considered traditional. He, won't, he wouldn't let you in any, A traditional shoot, you know, with a sight on your bow. But a whole lot of, about half the traditional bow hunters, before there was traditional bow hunting, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, about half the guys seemed to have some kind of a sight on their bow. You know, and it was difficult to use, but that's, that was kind of an artifact of, to some degree, of the NFA and
1: whatnot with their freestyle, you know, the, the, uh, those were the guys that were that were uh, desiring the compound. I'm sure.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, they were the guys. Often the guys that were trying to make the bow be something else, but it was, it was uh, within the NFA. There wasn't a lot of resistance to it either. It was, it was all part of the. You know part of the woodwork when that yeah. as soon as the compound bow came out it it sort of made an inroads and in things, and a lot of guys wanted to use it 'cause it it made it made it easier for him to shoot and, um, and it was it, you could use it you know for all the reasons we talked about releases sites, all that sort of thing it just you know it changed the whole game, and
1: then it it's like wasn't the, it's like it, trading it like it was trading the, in your uh... it was
2: the game yeah.
1: Yeah, it was like trading in your uh, Oregon Trail uh, buggy and horses for uh Honda Civic, right? <laughs> pretty <laughs> I much mean man. Pretty
2: much, yeah. Uh, particularly, particularly today. So so yeah, so it kinda of brings us back to how do we how do we uh you know, is there a, how do we maintain our seasons? How how do we get ourselves as much hunting time in the woods? How, how do we get to walk in the woods as much as possible? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, uh,
0: and right now, and you know, for us younger guys, you guys, you know, fought the battle forever and got us what we have. And now we're in a weird, strange predicament of we're watching them, our opportunities disappear really fast. You know, the, the things that took 20, 30 years, like... They're going away fast. Over-the-counter archery elk hunting is going away really fast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Unless you live in the right state, you know, and this is for, you know, I hunt all over the place. Um, we're battling it right now in Oregon. Idaho, you know, I know guys that hunted Idaho every year forever as a non-resident. Now they started restricting that last year. You know, or this year will be the first year. Colorado just switched. You know they're starting to go down the controlled route. They were pretty much like Oregon General, besides a few units. Now, last year, I believe they added 16 units. You know, I mean we're and and when it when something goes to controlled, that's a loss of opportunity for bow hunters. So we're trying to find ways to balance. You know, I've been in our meetings with you know our support group leaders meetings, trying to convince them. The problem when you start going down the controlled route is it's just going to be more controlled in the future. <laughs> you know, it's never going to get, you know, they're not going to start just giving out more tags magically. The more they control it, the reason we have lower success rates in a lot of our units in Oregon is because there's thousands of people in their hunting. And when there's pressure during archery season, it keeps the success rates down. Once we start controlling it enough to where the hunting gets better, then the success rates go up, then they have to control it more and you look in these states in the west right now that have decent controlled hunts and 30 40% success is not not out of not out of the norm and and you look at limited entry Utah you know there's seven or eight hunts that are limited entry in Utah and their success rates most of them are 60 to 80% and um you know so so we're trying uh, you know we personally TAO we're trying trying to convince them instead of going down this route of controlled and controlled and controlled and losing our time to walk in the woods let's let's use some of this you know regulator equipment instead of our tag numbers but but like you said earlier it's a it's a hard battle and and i i get the the spreading a positive message and i understand all these bow hunting organizations and 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 the reason it's good to spread a positive message but When you're taking the thing that I love more than just about anything in the world besides my wife and daughter and you're taking it away from me, I'm not going to be happy. And so it's a, it's a weird spot we're in. You know, we're trying to do a good job to promote it and, and, and convince these guys that, you know, what, what bow hunting was designed for is you know not necessarily what it's became and it might be a good job to balance that you know we're not talking about taking everything away so let's have a few areas try it out and see see what happens you know we have a we have a, another thing kind of paralleling what we're trying to do right now out west which we have nothing to do with because we're pretty busy on this fight and that's trail cameras and you know there's a lot of other technologies long-range guns and and there's states right now, oh, Utah, oh yeah, sure. Arizona, um, they have right now, they're, they're looking at banning trail cameras. Nevada did it a few years ago and I've hunted Nevada since then. You know, it's, they don't, they don't, they're not banning them. It's August 1st. You have to take them out of the field and it changes the game. I mean, there's, there's outfitters and guides and regular guys running hundreds of trail cameras in those desert states. And guys up here, we don't understand that because we have water everywhere and, Unless you're baiting trail cameras aren't really that big of a deal, but I, you know, it's it's insane, and and we, you know, there's, I've heard some organizations speak out about it that I would never have thought would have spoke out. You know, Sportsman for Fish and Wildlife, which is a very controversial organization, and we've had Don Thomas on and talked about it, and they put on this big Utah. Oh, and they're back, all back for hunters, and privatizing hunting, but they came out with a, mm-hmm. with a, with a statement and they said, yes, we need to get rid of these. We need to put the hunt back in hunting. Technology is ruining our opportunity. And it's like, thank you for somebody, you know, why, why are why isn't there a bow hunting organization? All these bow hunting organizations out there are there to promote and preserve opportunity. Most of them say it in, in the top Top mission of their organization, you know, uh, you know, PBS, Pope and Young, Comptons, and and spreading a positive message is is good, and trying to get more guys bow hunting is obviously a good thing. But but we're not saving anything; it's just slipping away right under our noses at an alarming rate. And and anyway, that's well, that's my soap. The
2: the the, the things the organ. One of the things the organizations ran into was they're trying to. They're also trying to get members They get this idea that we need lots of members, whether it's state or, you know, state bow hunting organizations or the Pope young club or anybody. They, they never have enough members. Yeah. And uh, so the, the, the side that pops up is that if, if we can't gain members by making the general bow hunter mad at us and the general bow hunter wants to use everything. So, what do we do? uh you know they wanted to use lighted knocks, you know, and they want to use we by 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 banning these things from our uh individual state's fair chase rules or you know what individual every state boning organization has some you know has a chapter on fair chase within their bylaws. And as this, this Pope Young Club does and whatnot too, but they you can't uh, you close you close one door and and then that closes another door. Um, but we we we've also found in general that from a membership standpoint, people don't generally join things anyway. <laughs> yeah. Most people don't. In other words. I don't know of any state in the country that's ever had much more than about ten percent of their bow hunters belonging to any kind of a state or national organization. They just we don't tend to join things unless we're forced into it again. You know, we've got a lot of really independent-minded people out there that spend their time in the woods. Um, I when, one thought that I was going to bring up, then I mean, I. You know, I uh, and I, I just want to throw this out here that just generally promoting people trying traditional bow hunting, selling the idea of hunting, hunting with traditional tackle, and selling the idea of, of simplifying what you're doing out in the woods, and, and that being you know its own recreational opportunity. In other words, if you're in one of the uh, the Doing more with less, uh, you know, that can even present itself with the idea of how, I'm, I'm going to go on a hunt this weekend. How little junk can I figure out I can take in the woods with me? You know, do I need, what can I leave home? Because everything you take out in the woods with you to some degree, once you get out there, it's in your way as much as anything, you know. Uh, my, my favorite my favorite quote right now. The less Dave, is the less is more
1: thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 less we take into the woods, the more we come out with. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh it well, just puts you closer to the
0: That's not 100% true right now, James, because if that's you took not, a compound, no, it's not 100 true. If you took no. a compound in the woods right now and you could shoot 80 yards and you had your dial in sight and your rangefinder, you would have brought home an elk this year.
1: Yeah, I think that statement is more is more referred to uh how what we we gain as hunters, what we learn in the woods. But you're right you're headed back on about that. Bob, right? Yeah. Right. I I think also okay. some of the confusion in in this conversation we're having like that some of the points I'd like to to um touch on is one we do have like this very uh unstable management and ecosystem out here in the West where you got like you said the prolific whitetail where they're given 20 tags back east in certain states and massive amounts of pigs and they're hunting almost year-round it seems um, that can yeah. be confusing for us uh, as a whole here in the US and then also as Bob was talking about those controlled hunts as I'm looking at the big picture now a lot of these younger guys go oh, 35%, 40% success rate, limited entry, bigger animals. That sounds great. That's what I want. Yeah, but you're going to have to wait five, oh, yeah. seven, eight, nine years for it, and you're going to have to pay into it. Well, that's okay. That's okay. We'll do that. We'll, and it's it, I can't believe how many guys think that that is desirable. Like, giving up hunting every year to uh, hunt once every seven years and you have a better chance at it. It's – I'm – I don't know how we get this message through that this is not the road we want to be headed down, and we're already headed down it.
2: Yeah, it's, well, there's, there's, a, I mean, we always kind of had it, but more and more we've got, oh, I don't know, the, the, what we would call a lifestyle bow hunter. I mean, or a lifestyle mm-hmm. hunter, his, his, period. His, period. his lifestyle is is to go hunting. And uh, her her lifestyle is to go hunting, as it works out now. Even in, uh, and and what they want out of that, you know, they, you know, we've got we've got a lot of guys that hunt. They take a good part of their uh, their yearly income, and and they throw tags out and apply for things, all the surrounding states, you know, and uh, and. Uh, and that's, so they're getting, you know, they're getting their, their season. They're not going to get it in their home state. But, uh, so the, the definition of a grassroots hunter has changed drastically. And, uh, but I, I think there's, there's, and there's there's definitely a place in this that, you know, for the traditional bow hunter. And I think that, I think that continuing to one of the best things that we can do as traditional boners, you want to promote traditional boning, is just promote what what it is and and what it can mean to the individual in relation to their own personal hunting experience, the experience that they have out in the woods. Uh, it's not gonna appeal to everybody, but it uh, People need to know that that it works. You know, you can harvest an animal with a traditional bow, and but the experience you harvest might be. You know, it sounds kind of trite even to say it, but it might be a lot bigger deal than than just going out and killing an animal, which can be very frustrating if that's if that's your goal is to go out and kill something. And uh, you know, it, there's there's uh, there's also amounting number of people that that uh, it, it, you know it's become a thing to have your freezer full of wild game which is pretty nice yeah. you know so your family can eat elk and deer year round that's we never used to think in terms like that you know part of that might be just the changing demographics with you know the number of, fewer number of hunters that are actually you know we used to have in Washington State, uh, during the rifle elk season back in the 60s, it, it looked like a city had landed out in the woods. You know, the number of guys that were actually buying rifle elk tags was was bigger than it is now.
1: And uh, Well, now they can buy a compound and, and, and have a better season and a longer season. So I think that that's where a lot of our gun hunters have gone to.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 we've become, uh, we've certainly come be more, we've become more effective hunters. Uh, back in the 60s, you had a lot of guys that would just go, every year they'd go out and sit on the same stump, you know, with their 30 30 or whatever. And, uh, that's, that was their elk hunting season. They go, they go set up the camp in the same area they had for, 20 years, and they go sit in the same stump that they sat on for 20 years. And that's kind of all they wanted out of it. And they got an elk once in a while. But that's not not how it's done today.
1: Uh, That's all gone. Uh, Anyway. I think what people that are listening need to realize also is, like, I hope we're making it clear that we're not uh trying to pound on someone else's drum and we're not we don't want to uh see compounds uh for these guys to just you know lose their their opportunity to go in the woods and hunt with the weapon that they choose to we're just hoping that we can set aside some of this some of these seasons for more primitive hunting i mean that's really what the conversation's about like we're not we we have no Pre-deceived, pre-deceived idea that we're going to just fight to get rid, to make everybody a traditional bow hunter. That is not, not our intention. Well, it'll never Correct, happen. fellas? No. Yeah. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. That's not, that's not, that's not something that, um, it's going to, it's going to happen. Although it, I, I, it's, you know, it's not something desired actually, but the just doing the best job we can of selling what bow hunting traditional bow hunting is and what it can be i think we i think we do that you know we do that on a on a one to one personal scale but that you know defining what that concept is is uh, to me is is kind of seems to be at the core of things uh, there's a lot of guys out there with a pretty complicated compound rig right now They wouldn't mind at all leaving that thing behind if they thought they could have the same fun out or more fun out in the woods with something simpler. And uh, yeah, they they just need uh, some encouragement
1: that they could do that, you know, for their own enjoyment. Yeah, or even some um, incentives. You know, having some traditional seasons, just like we have muzzleloader seasons. It's an incentive for a guy to, to uh, pick up a recurve and learn to use it and enjoy it and, and go out and have a new challenge in the field. And I think that's, yeah, you know, what really, what it, what it comes down to is that there's a small percentage of us guys that prefer it the hard way. And the time has come. We can't fight off all this technology. And as you, we've seen, no matter how much we fight, they continue to push it through that we got to let these guys have all that stuff and have. And, and a separation, you know, where it's appropriate, uh, where, where the overcrowding and over harvest is, is impacting our wildlife. Let's use this as a tool, uh, for, to create opportunity to keep people in the field. That's, that's the message. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah. It, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. I, I I think that's yeah. getting, getting twist, twisted and turned a lot. Uh, you know, and it gets, Put back in our face like we're being elitists or old crusties, or you know that we don't want to support other hunters, and that um, that's I'm tired of hearing that. That's not the case at all. Um, you know, I just really want to get that message out that uh, we're yeah, it's about, we're it's not about
0: preserving opportunity.
2: Yeah, so we've got
1: we've got two groups that we're really talking
2: to. We've got the hunters we're talking to, but then we're also talking to the agency. And we're also talking to our wildlife commissions that make the decisions. And, and, uh, and and so it's, it's a complicated bag to put together, right? If you got, we've got some units, you know, in our state here where mule deer units, for instance, where you, you got to get drawn and they call them quality units, which is kind of crazy to me because I guess it means the other units are not quality. They're, Low quality or high quality? Well, <laughs> you know, that's not a, I don't think that's a good name. That's just what they picked today, you know. But you, the same unit they've got where they've, say they got a unit where they have filled – they can only give a highly restricted number of tags in for, for bucks. Guys want to, guys want to be able to have access to some big bucks in the unit. So maybe you can only get to hunt there every, you know, every few years, or only if you get drawn. Anybody can put in for it, but you get points. You know, point system. And eventually, you get drawn, and uh, and then it's a pretty good hunt if you get in there because you'll see bucks and whatnot. Or they could have a unit like that, maybe an adjacent unit where they where they don't have a any opportunity in there at all. Or if you got a unit where they are They've restricted everybody out of it. But if they put in traditional bow hunting in a slow enough impact, they could open the thing up to anybody for does, bucks, whatever, if they're hunting with a traditional tackle. And uh, and then a and the guy could go in there and hunt, you know, maybe for two months in there or a month or whatever, you, whatever, whatever they could give us whatever they could provide. And, uh, and what they've done is expanded their recreational base of that particular hunt. Yep. As far as hours in the woods, they've, and, and that's the kind of what we're, one of the thing, any group of hunters is usually looking for is just more potential hours that they can spend out there doing what they, doing what they do. And, um, so, yeah, that's exactly what you guys are talking about is opening up, opening up something where nothing exists right now. And, uh, what units could you give me? You know, if, if, if we're a low percent success rate group or lower success rate or lower impact or whatever, we're, we're not going to go in there with trail cams. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Then again, of course, we're regulating equipment if we start talking that way, you know yes. we have to define what traditional bowling is, but then from a recreational standpoint that's the that's a potential answer yeah and, and is that a is that a good answer you know
1: i um, uh, I mean I think, tend so. to I think traditional-, traditional... yep, for sure, Yep. so they're doing it, they're doing it. as all
2: this kind of
1: leads looks like we're leading towards the birth of Compton traditional in this conversation. Um, that that happens in the 90s. Oh, if we're going back, back in the history. Yeah. Yeah. Right. W- was there intentions to, to uh, help, you know, uh, support traditional bow hunting seasons or was there any kind of talk like that when Compton was being, or was it just really a place for guys to get together and, and socialize or
2: well, what it, what it really was and what it still is, is, is the, is, uh, is beating the drum of traditional bow hunting. The idea of, of hunting wherever in the country with traditional tackle and, uh, creating the idea that, that if you haven't done it, you should try it. And, and here's what we're doing and, and this is what it can be like and, and, uh, um, this is what it's like to shoot a, a traditional bow and arrow uh, and this is how much fun it can be and uh, just that whole thing that's really and, and they're doing it from a standpoint of you know it's a national club a lot of it's based in the midwest where you know from a hunting standpoint they've got different issues than we have out west uh, but from uh, just just in general, just to beat the drum of of taking to the woods with uh, with traditional tackle. That's really what that's what's at the core of the of the Compton Club. That's what they're trying to promote that that whole concept of, of hunting with traditional tackle and uh, and hunting with it, not just being an archer, but hunting with it. And um, that's so that's and that in itself. I, I see it as being of, of high value. It's, it's promoting the activity. And, um, but it, as far as being able to address situations in individual states, I think it, it can, uh, it is, you know, we've kind of seen it go back to the traditional rendezvous back there, back to their event. It can put people together. And, uh um, but we we also do that by ourselves, you know, like you've done with uh, the guys in different states in Oregon, you've, pro, you know, you've had there's a There's a synergy that that comes from working, you know, and I, I think from the hunting opportunity standpoint, it's a regional thing. Uh, it's it's our out west situation as opposed to it being, you know, the same anywhere else. It's not it's it's different out here. And we have a different set of problems and and uh, different things to address and all that. And the um, often when it comes down to a, and I, and I, getting back to the wildlife commissions and what they decide, you know, one of the guys, one of the wildlife commissioners that I worked with years ago, was he told me, well, you can if if you come up with an argument toward nothing else makes any sense but your argument in other words if we then we have nothing to do but agree with you because you've turned your issue into a no-brainer uh you know if you can come up with an argument that has that much strength then that gives us a chance to vote yes for you Uh, and that's what everybody's been doing that's what you've done that's what the guys in the other state you talked about were doing um You're dealing with a commission, like in Washington, you're dealing with, they call themselves the Fish and Wildlife Commission. They're dealing with salt water, fresh water, birds, bow hunting, elk, all this stuff is in one basket. I don't know how they'd ever make any sense out of it because they've got so much in their basket there. And what I've noticed is you'll have a guy on that commission, and if it comes to a bow hunting issue, He's listening to all this stuff come in at him. He's used to hearing this wall of noise come from the, you know, from the from the community out there. But darn if he doesn't have a neighbor that bow hunts. And when it comes to a bow hunting issue, he goes and talks to Fred. What do you think, Fred? <laughs> and 50% of the decision is going to be what Fred says. Um... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so that creates a lot of frustration, but that's how it is. Um, everybody's got somebody that whispers in their ear, you know, um, and that's um, that's that's what a lot of these. Or if you've got, you know, the better presentation you can make, that that certainly speaks for itself, but. Um, uh, you know, if you've got some undecided people. But the commissioners, boy, they're hard to move because there is so much on their plate. And they might not care about big games. Some of them might not. They should. They're on the commission. But um, they might care more about some seabird or something rather
1: than an elk. Um, you know, what, whatever. What was, uh, just- Jay, what was your father's I mean, did he, did he see this coming? Was he talking about this long ago or, you know, what, what was his uh, perceived notion of the future of bow hunting um, back then?
2: Well, I, I think he, he saw, you know, he saw the concept of, of promoting the, 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 the Compton idea appealed to him a lot. A group that would, was there to beat the drum for traditional bow hunting in general. You know, hunting with that type of thing. As far as out west here, man, it's there's a, I i don't think he ever saw anything other than continuing to fight the fight. Uh individual states. Uh it, it as we say it never goes away. And
1: if I never ends we have to yeah.
2: support it never ends. And uh so you have to have a a group in your state that that promotes that from a real bow hunting standpoint. If you know, if they see, you know, they they need to be guys that are that there are people that identify as lifestyle bow hunters. You know, I am a bow hunter. I'm sure I, you know, I I'm not just a hunter who hunts with everything. You know, I don't hunt with a rifle here and a bow there and all that stuff. Lifestyle bow hunter is just kind of stuck with a bow. He just likes to hunt with a bow. That's who needs to be in the organizations. That's your, if your leadership's not made up of those guys, it, it, there's not enough passion there. Um, but the, uh, you, you just have to find a continual stream of fresh horses that will fill in those possessions the positions that will you know will fight that fight and uh these days also it's also hard because we're all so distracted and busy there's you know it, it compared to 20 years ago you know there, there's a lot of people that that we used to have this the idea of this nine to five job you know well, it's not a joke anymore. Now it's five to nine. Yeah. and finding people that will fill in. i don't know I don't know how it got that way, but it's that way for a lot of people. and uh, finding talented guys that have time to actually go to a meeting and sit down and discuss the stuff we're talking right now It, it was a lot easier to find those people twenty years ago. It's uh, that's part of the part of the
1: issue, yeah. Not, I, I think a lot it of the organizations, the older uh, gentlemen uh are you know just tired, and um, I'm always trying to promote younger guys to go in there and join those organizations and get involved. Those guys want your help, they, they will cheer you on, they will help you. I mean, that's what we're seeing in TAO. It, it's um, it's really awesome. I mean, there's a if you have an organization in your state, it's basically got the mentors waiting for you to show up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's mentors there. And and there's, there's, uh, even though also those mentors lived in a different, on a different landscape than there is right now. So we need the young guys some of the younger guys that understand also the, you know, the current landscape, which is, is different than it was 20 years Mm ago. The, uh, it, it, it well you need you need input from both, but you need uh you need what you used to call you need you need people with their hair on fire <laughs> yeah, <100%. laughs> that are just yeah just that are just fired up and and uh, without that we would never have got anything
0: we a hundred percent are honored to have you on here and it's just i mean that's that's why I'm ranting because I want your opinion on these things to make sure. 'Cause you know, I want what's best for bow hunting and and that's all. That's all you know, that's what I care about. So I'm not trying to screw anything up. If I am, please let me know. But I just I just see it's yeah. So that's why we're that's why I'm ranting too
1: much. Oh, uh, you're good, yeah. Bob. I think it's just something yeah. we're all passionate about and seeing seeing these gizmos and gadgets gizmos and gadgets replace woodsmanship is is really it's going to be a detriment to us moving forward, and I think that's something that we really have to promote as well to to the younger generation because it's lost the lost art.
2: If uh, from a complete I take, I don't want me to, to take off another tangent. If the people that make decisions in our, here, I go. people that make decisions in our state are those wildlife commissioners. You know the agency. We got to, we got to know our agencies as well. And we got to know our commissioners. But if you can get to know the commissioners, if you've got uh, for a while, we we attended every state bow hunters. Speaking of, we attended every commission meeting that happened, even if we weren't on the agenda. We went to every commission meeting. Pretty soon, we got to be familiar faces to all those commissioners, and and sometimes they would turn around. You see us sitting in the room. You know, we, we didn't have any opportunity for any discussion because we're on the agenda. We're just citizens sitting in the room. And sometimes these commissioners would turn around with a question and ask us, well, well what do you think? You know, we became familiar faces to these guys. Um, we even had one commissioner. One of our guys became like his personal secretary. <laughs> he was a little older and older. And, uh, Mark Graham, one of our, one of our directors would, would sit up at the, the table with, with, with this guy just to help him out, you know, um, cause those getting to know your commissioners, it, it sounds like it's not, but it's a big, it's a big part of the whole thing. If you, if it takes a tremendous amount of time to have some guys that will attend at every one of those meetings, but it, it has an effect. If you, if you're, if you're someone that's always there and you're not disruptive and you're not angry looking, you don't have an angry look on your face and you're, <laughs> you're, you know, you look like you're just an interested citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the meetings where there's something going on, where there's like a, they're going to decide something and you've got this whole, Raft of people that are there to testify and whatnot. I'm talking about the other meetings, the meetings where that's not going on. But as a citizen, you're allowed in the room. That's that Those quiet meetings are, are something. So anyway, going to throw that out there. Uh, yeah, We're not doing that in Washington right now. But when we did, it was a good thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, maybe and, we can get...
2: Get some there guys
0: involved. We, it. we know a couple that live up there that we've been hounding. And, uh, yeah, maybe we can get them involved and get them to start going. Cause yeah, it's, you know, I'm newly, you know, three years into going into these meetings and, you know, I'm new to it too. And I'm, I never went before, you know, I didn't really know how it worked. I just went hunting and then I, then I realized like, man, this hunt might not be around forever. I better get involved. And now that I am, I'm just yeah, appalled that yeah. other guys aren't.
2: <laughs> which
0: is very hypocritical, you know.
2: Uh, it's 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 pretty interesting. There's some interesting stuff going on. We, I know we got some of our guys in on on uh, on a- animal captures where they're doing radio collars and stuff like that. We some of our guys got involved in some pretty interesting programs, just simply because we showed up and got to know agency people are, are commissioners and and, and uh, you know there's a lot going on out there yeah and,
1: yeah um, I, I mean that's a good point you know getting involved with the agency too I've made friends with uh, our district wildlife biologist and I've attended you know spot black blacktail spotlight surveys you know at three four in the morning you know, being out there and being part of of what's going on instead of whining and complaining about it and pointing the finger. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's a lot more beneficial to everybody involved.
2: It can gain you a lot. Uh, They're used, they're used to these agency guys. All they hear is a bunch of complaining. Usually they they get the feeling that most haters just, hunters just hate them. And many of them do. Uh, And if, if you're not one of those haters that they might like to hear from you and uh, yeah and if you get to know them uh there's they're all people so you know yeah. it's good to talk so, to you guys here I, that, that, that's something we didn't touch on and i think it's important so
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so for, for everyone listening get involved get involved uh there's so many ways to get involved and uh, you know, we we urge you guys to do so um for yeah, the future of bow hunting. State state organization, Comptons. Make a difference. Make a difference. Uh Jay, why don't you why don't we wrap this up with you telling us a little bit of what you're up to in the in the shop right now? I know that uh you run Pac U is it Pac U Archery or Pac U Longbows? What's the official
2: company? Yeah, Pacific U Pacific U longbow is actually pacific U. incorporated so I guy really can't tell if he sees that he can't tell what the heck i'm doing if i'm just making new logs or what i i have i make a lot of sawdust i'm making i'm making um i make longbows and recurves i've do doing them you know for the last 30 years i've done uh i've done a lot of classes i had a series of classes where i was teaching people to make uh Make primarily you longbows and we did a few other things with, with, um uh, other materials. I had, I had a program where I was, uh, at one time I had all the Waldorf schools in the area sending their sixth graders in here from some of them as far away as Idaho. Uh, Waldorf is a kind of a private school program, it's kind of like Montessori kind of thing, but the they all take yeah. up archery in the sixth grade as part of their curriculum. So I had as many as 36 graders in my shop at one time, all finishing bows and uh, gone home with a bow that was basically completely tillered by the time they got here. But they had enough work to do by the time they went home. It was the bow they made, you know, and uh, that was a lot of fun. I got, got other guys involved helping me in that. I, but and I, I I turned it over to somebody else now. somebody else is doing that. It's great and uh the uh the longbow making classes i did as a kind of a one-man show primarily and i i'd bring in a group of people that wanted to learn how to make a, a self-bow and uh in the course of three days they'd all go home with a bow they finished and uh that was a lot of fun and it took up a, a tremendous amount of energy so it kind of kind of backed off from that and then i Usually it took me a a couple weeks to get my shot back in condition again after I'd have a class like that because, uh, but I'm still enjoying making bows and, uh, uh, I make, besides making hunting bows, I make a lot of lightweight bows. I, I go out of my, I I try to make some recreational bows that, you know, lightweight stuff that anybody can shoot, you know, family style bows. I found a market for those. I really enjoy making those as much as anything. And uh, one of my projects now is my, my dad's Thunderbird that he built back in the early 50s. I, I started building recurves for the first time back about 2003, and, uh, and it's a fiberglass laminated, early working recurve design, much like you see you know so many bows right now. But this was what's that, the length on that Thunderbird? Well, it, it's, they're, they're all longer bows. There's two lengths. There's a 63 inch I make and a in a 66 inch that come off two different forms. So they they look similar, but they're really two different bows. And the uh, the 63 inch was developed as what they called, what my dad called, the hunter model, and the 66 was a target model. But you know they both shoot well. I've got guys that are or both hunting and recreating with both links. and uh,
1: So, yeah, they're on the longer side. And, I like uh, that. I like the longer side. I'm going to have to get one of those in my collection, Jay.
2: Everybody should have one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, <laughs> well, agree. It, I agree. I agree. I agree. But anyway, for those, yeah, it, it, I'm having fun making those, yeah. It yeah. wasn't, it's wasn't
0: the, your dad one of the first ones to make a recurve that wasn't just a static recurve
2: well he was he was making bows you know from the late 30s on and then after uh after the war during the war in fact even and after the war there was a a lot of surplus fiberglass material from the Boeing company that was up here in the northwest and other materials too he he was sending aluminum uh wing material back to bear and they they incorporated, you know, people were making aluminum bows for a while. And until it, fiberglass really was much better material to use in lamination. And So he he was an early adapter using fiberglass, yeah. And uh, so it, the fiberglass allowed one to much more easily make a full working recurve, something that could actually bend throughout the limb. Uh... With just wood alone, that was a that was a real challenge to get one who would hold together, guys. Uh, it, it was done, but once fiberglass came out, uh, Frank Eichholz down in uh, California, who had similar technologies available to him down there, was was doing you know a similar thing. I don't know who the first guy was to use fiberglass, and you know, Bo, I got one of my dad's, it's dated nineteen forty five, that has some Looks like B29 bulkhead material on the back of it, you know. So it's oh, going God. on all over where this material was available, you know. So, um, uh, is, the,
1: is the museum still intact?
2: The museum is, is, uh, is, is currently intact right now uh, in Chatfield, Minnesota. Uh, oh. They, they took what my yeah it's back at the pope young headquarters in chatfield it's at this particular point in time as i understand it's still open you know they've got COVID hours and all that sort of thing going on but but it's it's there and uh museums are are difficult things because they they're they're not generally revenue generators uh and uh, if they're if they're tied to some other attraction, they tend to work out. Uh, the Archery Hall of Fame right now is back at the uh, uh, Bass Pro flagship store back in the, in uh, Missouri. Yeah, I guess Columbia, Missouri, yeah. And uh, that's probably the best example of a successful museum combined store that I can think of in the country right now. It's like going to hunting and fishing Disneyland, you know, uh, all under one big roof. And, um, but Pope and young club has its own separate museum. And, uh, yeah, if you're, it's right in the middle of the country, you have to, it's about 60 miles from Rochester, uh, Minnesota. It's the nearest biggest town where the Mayo Clinic is with the, uh, Anybody's going through the middle of the country, make sure to stop in there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to make it there eventually. Um, one last question uh, is both on the little Delta. It's not been printed any, like it's out of print, hard to get your hands on. Is that still the case?
2: Yeah. It's still a case.
1: Yeah. It's still out of print. And, and, uh, the number
2: of issues we have is, you know, I have, I have a few of them around here that i'm kind of hanging on to and uh but yeah it's a it's a it's a family mission right now to see that we get that reprinted at some point that's in time. that's good that's Soon. great i yeah.
1: i gotta make fun of it's, bob here he doesn't have a copy and he was looking at ebay 175 bucks for a copy and i was like bob not <laughs> yeah. a bow hunter are you you don't have bows on the little delta jeez terrible.
0: I'm embarrassed.
2: Loser!
1: It's, uh, well, you said me. <laughs> it's
2: it's crazy. I yeah, it's crazy that way. I know the last used copy I picked up with Powell Books in Portland. I think it was like forty bucks or something. That was a couple of years ago. Yeah, they're getting scarce I, uh, out there, and I, that's not good. It, it it's a it's a it's a pretty good
1: book, and uh, it's a really 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 good book. I've read it two or three times. A matter of fact, I read the Olympic elk chapter this morning and it's got me frothing out the mouth to get out into the brush and track elk. I mean, it was <laughs> those stories about your dad hunting with the rifle hunters and kind of, you know, helping the rifle hunters out, but still, you know, keeping their secrets true and, and killing bulls right underneath their noses. Ah, so cool. Such, such a great book. It's full of, so much adventure and stories. I love that thing.
2: It's got a lot of, it's, there's a lot of knowledge in there. There's a lot of little nuggets that are like things mm-hmm. that we talked about just because he was so involved for so long in all of this stuff. And, uh, uh you know, so you can, you can kind of pick nuggets out of it. If your, if your goal is to get more, more organized in your own state, it's in there.
1: Uh, it's in there. It's
2: somewhere in there. Yep. Yeah. So that's a goal. We, we'll have, we, it's, it's important, you know, from our, just our family standpoint and, in and, and kind of my dad's legacy is a good part of it is in that book. And, yeah. and, uh, and not only his legacy, but he, all the guys he writes about in there. He, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I want to say if you don't have a that of,
2: book, you're not a. Bo-
1: I want to say if you don't have that book, you're not a bow hunter. But unfortunately, it's not available, so I can't put that pressure on guys. They're uh, they're out there. They're
2: out there. But they are. The main channels are. It's yeah. It's gotten really crazy. So we're going to try to fix that.
1: And well, um, cool. yeah. tell tell everyone where they can find you. I know your selfbow.com is your website, um, and you're on Instagram. And Facebook, I'm gonna assume.
2: Yeah, I'm on Facebook as Jay St. Charles, and uh, also as Pacific U, so you can find me both those things. I, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm not on there every every day, but I'll. I, I guess I look at my Jay St. Charles more often than the other one, but I get all the messages on there. I'm also on Instagram. If somebody wants to see pictures of 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 bows, I've you know I've. I took the ease of using Instagram and threw a bunch of bow pictures up there. I'm just pack you
1: P A C Y E W. So I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm on not there right now.
2: It's a there.
1: great, I'm on there right now. It's a great page. And if you guys are on Instagram and you're not Paul and Jay, definitely go over there. It's, uh, it's got all kinds of great history and, and uh, it's, a, it's a great page.
2: And yeah, so I'm, yeah, feel,
1: feel free to reach
2: out. Anybody wants to contact me for any reason anyway. And I, um, uh, well, do you got um, do you got any conclusions or anything you want to leave a,
1: leave us with, Jay?
2: Not that we haven't talked about it in the last <laughs> empty, empty hours here. I, I, I we have talked a long time. I just continue to do whatever you can as an archer to to get more people shooting arrows and of longbows and recurves. If you can, uh, okay. if you get an opportunity to to teach somebody how to shoot a bow and arrow, it, and keep it simple. You know, we found it's pretty easy to get a person shooting a bow and arrow. You know, in a in an hour or two, and uh, and have them looking pretty good, and then just tell them, don't change anything, and
1: uh, Mm, I like it. Don't read anything,
2: just shoot arrows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Well, keep teaching archery. I like it. Well, we we thank you so much for for your time and I'm looking forward to when our path crosses again, hopefully it will soon. And as we keep saying in this, uh, this recording, the fight never ends. It never ends. Uh, hope to see you guys in Western States. I'm planning on
2: being there. So right
0: on. Yeah. I'll uh, be there for sure. I already reserved my spot.
1: That's awesome. I'm going to put it, put in, I'll put in some, I'll put in some effort if I can get my daughter's, uh, bear tags uh filled or if they'll just be willing to uh go shoot some arrows instead of bear hunt. So I hope to make it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't short the bear hunting.
1: That's terrific. Yeah. No, it is. Well
2: Jay,
0: we've taken up a lot of your time the last few days and man it's 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 all an honor and thank you so much. Hopefully we'll we'll get you back on when you reprint that book so I can buy one.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, hope that, i hope i hope to, we hope to do that soon uh good. sooner than we so yeah. yeah all right thanks, good talking Jay, and thanks to you guys. for uh,
0: everything you and your family have done for bow hunting we all bow hunters owe you okay. a debt that's for sure
1: don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast check us out on instagram send us an email at tradquest podcast at gmail don't forget to support us on our patreon page Keep doing you in your pay. I can't get it any longer. Straight. I've got to breathe air. The
0: only cure for what I've got is a week or so out there. I've got nevrigerosis, long lows on the brain. I'm an outdoor juggie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads off my true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can.